All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Uh, today, we're trying something a little different. Uh, there's, you know, once I started this podcast, I've met all of these early stage founders who who have a product out in the market. You know, they're they're in revenue, they're really bright, and I just want to cash them before they get big, right? But there's a whole nother, you know, segment of people who are pre startup. They that you know that they have something going on, that they're smart, you know, they may be technical, they may have a great network, but they don't have that thing yet. And I wanted to start a segment where I, I talk to these uh, these young or old people um, about just what they think about life and the world. Um, so when they do start a company and they do make it big, then you know a little bit more about them, you know, and they're not a stranger to the world. So with that, I'm very excited to kick off this segment with with my first guest of this, Abby Bias. Abby, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, what's up? Nothing too much. I'm very excited to try out this new format. Um, and I, I really feel like you are a, you know, a good uh, match or fit. The reason is because like, you know, we don't know each other super well yet, but the reason you're the first guest and the reason we're having this conversation is because I think I saw you respond to like Daniel Gross or someone on Twitter and I looked into your profile and you're really freaking interesting. You're like a really interesting guy. So I just want to dive into you know, everything about you and, you know, as you mentioned before we started recording, how we think about the world. Great, great. Um, I don't know about interesting. Um, I definitely have just been tweeting uh, a lot more recently and apparently people follow me for some reason. (laughs) If you have to hypothesize, you know, you, you know, you, you tweet, a lot of people tweet, but there are probably a small percentage of people that get other credible people to follow them. What do you think it is about your tweets that get people to follow you? And also just what do you tweet about? Well, you know, random thoughts, theories on stuff. What's the content of your tweets? Yeah, so I I don't necessarily have a good hypothesis on why why people are following me. Uh, I'm open to hearing any thoughts uh, anyone may have. Uh, My best guess would be they find something I say interesting and they're essentially trying to keep tabs on on the things that I'm doing. So maybe over time, I might start something. Uh, I'm very much on the path of starting a company at some point in the future. I'm working on a few side projects right now. Or, or just because they, they think I'm interesting. Uh, and as for my tweets, most of them are just revelations that I have. Um, going through daily life as I'm thinking about uh, problems and just things things that are happening. I, I try to note them down. Sometimes I add it to my personal notes, and then other times, if it's if it's actually tweet worthy, I'll I'll put it out there into the ether. How do you know mentally if something is tweet worthy? Is there a is it a feeling or is it just a is it an impulse? In the moment, I'd love to hear the thought that goes through your head of like, oh, like this is good, but is it that good? Is it tweet worthy? No, it's there's definitely a filter in my head, uh, and the filter is more like, will other people be able to relate to this? Can I convey this in a way that I haven't seen before? Uh, so, I guess in terms of information, everything is a remix of of what's to come, and so being able to put 
a sentence together that previously wasn't put together and combine ideas in a way that people haven't seen usually does really well for Twitter. And so anytime I have something along those lines, uh, I, I usually tweet it out. I could definitely use that advice. I would say 95% of my tweets provide everyone on that's following me zero value. I just tweet, <laughs> oh, that, oh, I'm doing this. Today I, I tweeted, uh, I have this, uh, so my girlfriend who I live with bought this miniature fountain that's, uh, that, I mean, I'm talking about, I could hold it in my hand. That mm -hmm. is where the water streams, you know, from, mm -hmm. you know, one level to another level to another level. And I tweeted today, falling on a budget with a picture of, of the fountain. So you can tell the reason, you know, it's, it's definitely good to be intentional about tweeting. And I could probably be a little, a little better with that. I, um, and honestly, I, I want to dive a little deeper into this and then I want to go into what you're working on and just kind of what you spend your time thinking about. But why do you even spend your time tweeting? Uh, is it like, do, do you spend the equal amount of time on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat? Um, or, you know, if, if yes, why? And if not, like, why not? Um, what is it about Twitter that, uh, that is, can you call as one of your platforms? So I actually don't use most other social media. I don't uh, engage on Instagram. I don't engage on Facebook. I don't engage on any other form of social media. I actually started an email list that I send out to my closest friends uh, and acquaintances once a month. And that's pretty much how I communicate with my network, uh, quote unquote network. Uh, or close friends to keep them posted on what I'm doing. And I found that to be the highest signal way uh, for me to actually build and sustain relationships with others. Uh, in terms of Twitter, I think the way that I view Twitter is like Twitter is a network that you hope to have one day. And the people that I follow on Twitter are essentially people I either hope to work with at some point in my life, um, I hope invest in something I work on, or just people that I aspire to in some way, uh, or, or I find interesting, right? There, it doesn't have to be any kind of aspirational goal. And so that, that's, that's how I think about Twitter. Definitely. How do you, but it's kind of shifting, shifting the conversation slightly, but you seem to have already just some frameworks in your head on how to make decisions. And, you know, you're not just born with these, right? You, you, over time, you, you learn them or you see someone else's framework and you take inspiration. I guess, very high level question, but how do you learn? Um, do you, are you a big reader? Do you observe behaviors? Do you just do and figure out what the outcome will be? What's your kind of ideal way to learn? Uh, however you want to take that question. Wow. That, that is such a great question. And I need to preface my answer by saying, by giving you guys a, a quick story. Uh, I'm a first generation immigrant. So my parents came to America with the clothes on their back about 18 years ago, hoping that their kids would have a chance at the American dream. Uh, they didn't speak any English. And so growing up, I spent most of my time uh, kind of confused and lost because there was really no one there to show me the way. Uh, in middle school, high school, there was no homework help. There was no like knowing what the SAT is. It was always like, I don't know what's next. Uh, in middle school, like shifting from elementary school to middle school, it's like, oh, just another school. But not knowing the context of the shift. It's like, oh, now you're in your preteen years. There are certain 
things that you should be doing. There are certain things that you're going to go through. And the same applies to high school. And when I was in high school, everyone around me was actually just working on getting into Ivy League colleges. And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I actually didn't know what an Ivy League was. And so I actually asked myself the question. I was just like, maybe I should do the same thing. I think I'm smart. I'll start taking AP classes as well. And I started competing with these other students around me. And it, it all started out by observing the behavior of the people around me who were the best at what they did. And as I did that, I realized that I was hitting cap. And that cap was whatever they knew. So over time, what I started doing is I started reading books and following people out there outside of my, my immediate network and geography that were doing interesting things. And Twitter was massive uh, in terms of that. Because once I started uh, getting on Twitter, I saw all these people doing incredible things and realized how accessible they were. They weren't too far away. They felt, they, they felt like they were close. They felt approachable. And it, it, it kind of minimized this gap. And, and so the, it's, a, it's a long-winded answer of saying that all of the above, uh, I, I watch the people around me, I observe behaviors, I read books, I um, look for mental models of the people who I aspire to respect and then um, listen to everything they've, they've put out and just follow their content religiously. And then not only do I listen to their content, but then I go to the source material. Anything that they reference, I go and read. So whether that's Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, or Naval Ravikant, it's like listening to them and then going and finding all the resources and books and, and the source of their knowledge. And that's been, that's been super helpful for me. That's awesome. I feel like any person could listen to the last five minutes of you talking and just have a, a master class into just how to get one level above where they're currently at. So that's great. So you mentioned when we first started talking um, and also before we started recording, you're working on some stuff. Uh, you know, you, you, you're a maker, you're a creator, um, just like any, you know, you know, great tech mind. Love to hear what you're working on and kind of, uh, uh, yeah, we can go from there. What, what are, what are things that you're spending your time on now? Um, and also note that, uh, just for everyone listening, um, the different, a big difference, um, in kind of this segment versus other, you know, other segments is that I, I usually interview founders who've like have a product, they have a team and that's kind of like, that's the thing that that's what they're doing for the next 10 years. Whereas th this type of uh, interview you know, the people that I interview are going to be learning rapidly and potentially changing ideas rapidly as they figure out what they want to do. So just take that um, as you want, um, as, uh, as we kind of go into this, this question. But with that said, what are you, what are you working on now? What are, you, what are you hacking on? For sure. Yeah. So right now, something I'm really passionate about is democratizing access to financial advice. And what that essentially means to me is... Growing up, I actually, as I mentioned, I'm a first-generation immigrant, so I manage my parents' uh, finances, their 401ks, their retirement accounts, their bank accounts, all of the above. And one of the, one of the issues with 
uh, that was I would always go to Google and search for answers because I didn't know what a proper 401k allocation was as a 14 year old uh, allocating money for my mom and my dad. And I never really got good answers uh, or answers that I could understand. I didn't know who I could go to for help. And as a 21 year old, when I actually went into the job market and got my first paycheck, I had the same problem. I still didn't know what to do with my finances. And when I went to Google, I would actually find ads disguised as advice. And I feel like that's a massive disservice to everyone. So how can we make financial advice more accessible to more people? And this, this, was, this was essentially the question that I've been exploring. And there are a few ways that I'm, I'm thinking about creating a solution. Uh, navigating financial services and fintech is extremely difficult due to regulations and extremely high customer acquisition costs. So making it as a startup is extremely difficult. So I've been very conscious of how, if I build a product, how do I actually distribute it? And who will the end user be and who will the payer be? So these are kind of the questions that I'm exploring right now and running experiments for. Let's dive into the very last thing you said. You're running experiments. You know, startups and companies are, are often, you know, described as experiments in themselves. How do you think about experiments? And can you describe uh, um, what goes through your head uh, when you run an experiment to validate an assumption that you might have? Yeah, so one of the great parts about studying uh, pre-medicine in college was that they actually taught us a scientific method and it's probably like one of the biggest things that I've taken away from doing research and studying the sciences and I approach like business from the same mindset where it's essentially create a hypothesis and then an experiment where you can test your assumptions and invalidate them very quickly and gather data to actually justify the decisions that you're making so in, in this case one of the one of the hypotheses that I have is that Financial advisors don't have a place to go to ask long tail financial questions for their advisees. So in order to test that, one of the things that I'm going to do is go talk to 50 financial advisors over the next two weeks and have a standard set of questions, quantify that and see whether the assumption actually holds or not. Um, that's just one example. Right. And then another example could be putting up a landing page, seeing how many signups I get and, and just designing experiments to test different assumptions and trying to do it as fast as possible to learn. So let's go back to your, your first example. I think this right here is what separates the, the founders or future founders from everyone that, that you know, thinks starting a company is impossible. You said, I'm just going to find 50 people and, and talk to them. And the, you know, when I hear that, and I think a lot of people hear that are like, oh, that makes sense. You got to do these interviews, just got to find the 50 people. But I think when most people hear that, are like, where the hell are you going to find 50 people from? Um, and it's a valid question if you're just getting started. I'm not, not discrediting that. But I'm kind of curious, how do you think about like, um, I, not product distribution, but just like idea distribution. When you have an idea and assumption or hypothesis, where do you find 50 people to interview? What channels? For sure. Um, and this is where Twitter actually comes in handy, right? So going on Twitter and finding anyone that has CFA in their description and then sending them a DM. Hey, I'm a 21-year-old college student working on a side project. And especially when I frame it like that, like, 
it's very rare that I, I won't get a response from someone because people really want to help college students. And it, it changes dramatically as soon as you hit like 23. Like I, I don't understand what the gap is between being like a 21 year old college student versus being a 23 year old. It, it's, it, I don't know, people, people become less friendly to you. Uh, and so <laughs> I, would, I would probably say that going on Twitter, going on LinkedIn and just hitting like cold emails, cold outreach constantly. And you get, it's, it would be surprising how many people are willing to help. Uh, and so I have a pretty high success rate. And additionally, finding influencers in whatever niche you're going into. So for example, in financial advice, Patrick Oshag uh, is, he definitely has like this amazing blog and this podcast and his Twitter following is, has a lot of financial advisors. So he tweeted something about financial advice about two weeks ago. I just responded to it saying, I'm working on something in the space. Anyone want to talk? DM me. I literally had 10 financial advisors DM me from that one tweet, even though engagement on that tweet was like terrible. It's, it's just, you just find a way to get it done. And uh, I love that. Like, it's just, when you put energy out into the world and you say, I'm doing this, it's amazing how many people help versus, you know, saying I'm doing this and thinking that everyone's going to take the idea, right? No one wants to take the idea. They just want to help. It's kind of, it's a world around help. What's your, what's your thesis on just like people taking your idea? Did you ever believe that, that that was a thing? And if so, like, how did you change your mind? And if not, like, why does that, why do you think that is still around? I feel like it's, it's old advice, but still all, most of my friends that want to start companies ha- want to want an NDA to be signed. Yeah, no, I mean that, that is, that sounds ludicrous to me. I, I don't understand. Uh, at, at the earliest stages of a startup, having attention is your greatest asset. So if anyone is literally willing to listen to your pitch in any form, you should, you should get in front of them and, and just pitch them. I, I also think that people love the concept of innovation in, in the abstract, where they want to see things change, but no one really cares about putting in the effort to actually make it change. And also, the default for 98% of people that, anyone, that you pitch an idea to is, hey, this isn't going to work. And here are 10 reasons why. I don't know why this is. I don't know why people just have this pessimistic, cynical look at startup ideas and any kind of project idea. And so, like, I'm just looking for the 2% that say, hey, this is going to work, right? And, and here are the reasons why. Or your current iteration probably won't work. Have you considered these things? You might want to course correct, and this is probably what you want to do. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Now, you right now, as you mentioned, this is a project, a side project as you're going to school. I feel uh, like No, I'm not in school right now. I you're not in school. Out. Oh, you dropped yeah. out. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, well, let's dive, let's, let's dive into that. So you have, this, you have this side project. Did you drop out to pursue this side project or did you drop out to just explore what you, what you want to do with now your time? No, I actually left college because I wasn't necessarily getting much out of being an undergraduate business school. And it was more time, money, and effort than like in, in the wrong direction. 
So I, I decided that it just wasn't worth the investment. I, t- I took some time off and around that same time, I got a full-time job at a startup. So I had joined uh, a startup and worked there for about, for some time. Okay. That is super interesting. I feel like in the last five to 10 years, um, well, actually, let me back up. I don't live in San Francisco or in kind of the Bay Area. I live uh, in Phoenix, where very few people drop out, unless you're Jonathan and Scott from Air Garage. But unless you're Scott, Jonathan and Scott from Air Garage, you don't drop out. Um, so it's not really in the culture that I grew up in to drop out. I'm kind of curious, was it, was it, as hard, was it hard for you to drop out? Was it, did your peers understand? Did you not care? I'd love to get into the psyche of doing something that's so unconventional, but honestly, probably the smartest move you can do. I'd, 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 I'd be curious to hear why you think it's one of the smartest things I do after I give you uh, my answer. But the way that I thought about leaving college was essentially that I could always go back if I needed a degree what what can I do with a degree that I can't do right now? That's one of the questions I asked myself. And frankly, I had full-time offers without a degree at startups in roles that I, w- I was interested in. And the, the companies that require a college degree are not interesting to me. I don't necessarily want to go work at J.P. Morgan Chase as an investment banker. I don't want to go uh, down the consulting route at one of the big four consulting companies. And especially when you go to a state school like Rutgers, the pressure of all of my peers and people around me was to get those jobs, right? Like, like Goldman Sachs investment banking is, is the goal, right? Or getting a tech consulting job at Deloitte. And I, I have a lot of respect for my friends who worked really hard to get those roles and that are going to do that. I just realized that that, that path wasn't for me. And that didn't give me a lot of happiness. It was, it was extremely hard to make the decision because there was all this external pressure, societal pressure. I'm a first-generation immigrant. Um, being able, Telling my parents that, hey, I am not going to like, graduate college and go get a job that's going to pay me $80,000 a year uh, as soon as I graduate was, was really hard. And... And, and I mean, it still is right. Like the psychological barrier of seeing, um, I mean, the psychological effect of seeing all of your friends in their first job, consulting job, investment banking job, making a certain amount of money is, 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 is not easy. And you're, you're at home, uh, grinding away for 12 hours a day on your laptop and everyone around you is like, what are you doing? Right. And when, when you see your friends, they ask you. And every time you see them, you're telling them, hey, I'm exploring this new idea. It becomes hard because you're just, you're just constantly, you just constantly look like a failure. And that's, that's been life, right? Um, so keeping myself psychologically motivated has been hard, but people having, I've been extremely fortunate to have uh, a group of friends that have been incredibly supportive and are always there when, when I go through those lows. Man, you're you're spot on. Um, that, that yeah, that's you, you get it. You get a hundred percent right. And let me tell you, um, I don't know if this is helpful or not helpful, but um, it doesn't go away. <laughs> uh, so I am 
I'm 26, so I'm not like much, I'm, I'm older than you, but I'm not much older than you. But I'm four years out of college, and I'll answer your question in a second. But I, even while working on Publoft, which was making some serious money, it like didn't matter because I, you know, I still wasn't that great of a company owner externally. I still didn't have that job. And I was like always perceived as like, wow, oh, Matt, like when are you going to get a job? You know, it's, and it's interesting because like then we got Jason Calacanis to invest. And everyone's like, what? Like, okay, he's serious. But it, then everything flipped because like then we still screwed it up, right? Because it's just this messy, it's this messy road that is only, the only people that walk down and, you know, kind of take on the pain are the ones that like like the taste of it um and that's it, it sounds very weird but i like i would i would never do a desk job where i got paid even a hundred grand a year if i had to do that for the rest of my life it's like the the, the thrill of trying to do something bigger and better um and and, and employing you know thousands of people to, to to make a change in the world like there's nothing else that sounds better than that and to answer your question about like, why do I think dropping out of college, in my view, is a smart opinion, I'm sorry, is a smart take, or a smart, uh, sorry, a smart uh, thing to do. It's because I got, I did not apply myself in college whatsoever. Um, that's my, obviously my own, you know, reasoning. But I was a communication major, because like, I didn't know what else to do. And as a communication major, I had a bunch of free time. So with that free time, I started companies and I failed, but then I learned and then I failed. And I'm like, I'm still, I'm still learning and failing, right? Uh, like I'm still in that cycle, but I, I did not need a degree to cold email 300 Y comedy under startup to say I can write for you. I didn't learn how to write in college. All college did was take up four years of my life and a lot of money and uh, um, give me a diploma that I'm probably never going to like I, I, right now I'll, I'll, rant, I'll stop ranting in a second, but right now I got the coolest gig in the world at Prenda. No one's heard of Prenda before, but they will in a year, like in a year and in two years, everyone in the tech world is going to have heard of Prenda. And they didn't even ask for why I went to college. They didn't even ask for a res. It's just, you know, so to, to kind of like get off my, 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 you know, wherever I'm on right now, I think if you're, an entrepreneurial type person, a business type minded type person, you got to do what you're doing and get out there and start building that network and get out into the world because you're going to learn a billion times more out in the world than you will in school. And yeah, you're going to look like a failure. And like, I still look like a failure. People look at me like, Oh, you don't have like a great job. You know? And like, I don't care, you know, cause I love my life and I'm very happy and I'm going to be successful. And that's all that matters. That's the inner, like the inner strength. You know, you got to have that inner strength. That was a very long rant. I'm sorry. But I got like, like your answer kind of got me on one. Um, I'm very passionate about this topic. For sure. Uh, so for me personally, the motivation to start something isn't so much about employing thousands of people or anything along those lines. It's more about finding a solution to a problem that exists in the world. And as someone who walks around, uh, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about everything wrong in the world in the most positive light possible, right? In, in an optimistic view, uh, I'm sitting in the train and I'm basically decomposing like who pays for the train tracks? Why, why is this train running right now? Why, how, how does one become a ticket checker? What is, how much does a ticket checker make? How long does it take to actually drive a train? These are all the types of questions that I'm going through and essentially deconstructing that business to find maybe 
is there a better way to, to run trains? Why isn't this going faster? Right? So it, it's, it's constantly trying to find problems. Uh, and in, in the train example, it's like, how do we go from point A to point B faster? And that's what really excites me. And if in that journey, I stumble across something that hundreds of thousands of people use, great. If not, I'm pretty satisfied with just going through that exercise and building solutions constantly uh, and working with my friends. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So that's that's how I view the whole entrepreneurship thing. And back to the whole college point, I love I love how you brought up that you were a communications major and you spent a lot of your time working on side projects and just like experimenting with things. Very similarly, when I went to college, I didn't necessarily, I told my parents uh, the first day, I'm not necessarily going there for an education. I'm actually just going there to meet other people who paid $30,000 a year. And it became very visceral to me once I moved into my room and my neighbor, like my roommate, his dad was a doctor. That was the first time I met someone who came from wealth, oddly enough. It was the first time I actually had my own room. Uh, and so it, it really expanded my horizons in many ways because I got to see how people live, how people think, and built those mental models of, of, of how the world works outside of uh, the, shelter, the shelter that I was living in when I grew up. Yeah, that's that's very insightful. Um, and kind of one one thing I want to mention uh, is your response to not like the fact that you don't have the vision or like the dream to employ thousands of people or you don't want to do these big things. Like that's gonna be the reason why you end up do doing that. Like that's what you're gonna end up doing that anyways because. Um, your mindset of wanting to just tackle problems and build solutions and problems like this is like I'm a pretty self-aware dude and like I know that's actually one of my like things I need to work on it's not about like it's not about 10 years from now it's about today um, and you are you seem to already have a great grasp of this where it's like no it is about today and then tomorrow it's about tomorrow and then you know so I think you're going to be just fine um, let's um let's keep uh, let's keep going down the path so how so you dropped out of college and you you got you got a job now now you're working on a, you know a side project how do you think about starting not you know because it's not like you 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 don't have a company then you do it's kind of a spectrum so i'm just curious is there how are you thinking about your side project do you want it to potentially come a company if you do like will you start with revenue raising money i'm just curious to get inside your head of like how you think about starting in that sense yeah absolutely so i i do intend to turn the the project that i'm working on into a full-time um like to, into a company and i'm actually working on it full-time right now we just don't necessarily have enough data to have conviction about a certain product or market just yet. And that's why I'm still calling it a side project. Uh, I think the shift to a company is when you have a clear customer or user and an idea for a product that will meet their need. And right now it's very much about like exploring and figuring out what that customer problem is, talking to as many users as possible and experimenting with different solutions. So in my case, I literally just had one of my friends reach out to me about two days ago, asking me for financial advice. He's like, hey, do you know any financial planners that I can talk to about this tax situation? So now it's my job to go find a financial planner that that person can talk to to solve his tax problem and then intermediate that relationship 
whether that's over text or email, whatever that is. And that is V1 of our product, right? And over time, we're going to essentially scale that up and find out all the problems of that interaction. It's like, hey, I didn't like talking to this person over email because my data wasn't secure. I didn't like the fact that I had to text you. I wish I could just look at the person on a database and uh, then just go reach out to them because I know they're going to solve my problem. Uh, and, and so essentially letting the user and the market pull the product out of us instead of us trying to assume what people want. And uh, even though we have strong conviction and intuition about what the product looks like, it's actually a very bad idea to, in my opinion, make products that people don't use or want. It's definitely a sound of thought. If you're going to build a company and have a product, you, you want to make sure it's something that, that people people want or love. Um, but I do want to kind of explore a little deeper. It kind of sounds like to me like you don't want to go, or I guess call it a company and go big with it. it almost until you have product market fit. It's not, like That's kind of what I heard. Like You, you want to go big with it once you, you're being pulled by the market and uh, um, you, know, you know you have something that people want. I just kind of... If that's, how do you know when you have that? And well, is there a point where like you have some data, but not so much data where you're like, damn, like this is it. Or is it kind of one of these things where you're just going to see you're doing, taking it day by day and then you'll make the decision, you know, once you feel like you want to make the decision. So to be honest with you, I, I struggle with that question because to be quite frank, savings are running tight. And in terms of next steps of the project, I'm thinking about, do I go raise angel money to keep working on this or do I, uh, or do I get a job? Right? Like, like what do I do? And I, I don't have uh, a good answer yet. Um, I am I'm, I'm compelled to raise angel money. I feel like I've done enough research and understand the market enough to have conviction in what I'm doing. And I think product market fit is in the horizon. It's just not something that is that like, we're just not there yet. So uh, yeah, like uh, the, the data tells you and, and, and when people are coming to you to look for certain products, that's a good signal, right? If, if I've been talking to, I've probably talked to a hundred people in the past two months. If one of them comes back to me and is like, Hey, I have this problem right now. I need a solution. Can you help me find it? That's, that's a really good signal. And now I just need to go find another hundred of that one person. Do you have a, do you have a kind of a, a, a thought to, on how to find a hundred of that one person, which actually goes pretty in line with, I don't know if you've read Rahul Vora's path to find product market fit, like a beautiful genius essay, but it's pretty much like a methodological methodology on like how to find product market fit. I'm curious, have you read that? And if so, or if not, regardless, like how, what's the, your plan to find another hundred people like that one person? So I haven't read it yet. I'm going to essentially do a full profile, create a customer persona about him and, and then ask him about his friends and see if he can refer me to other people that he knows like him in a situation that can benefit from this solution. And yeah, like I, I, think, I think once you have a customer persona, you can essentially go find other people in, in that similar situation. I think in our case, it's a little different because people don't necessarily 
like not every person like him needs financial advice right now. It's more intent based. So searching for those intent based people will be a bit harder. But I think if we run Google ads, we can run that experiment and target it towards people that have his demographics. Definitely. Well, cool. Well, we'll stop going down like the specific path and uh, shift a little bit to right now we've been, we've been tackling a certain area of your brain, which is like your side project, like this thing that you're working on that I'm sure you spend a lot of time on, but I have a feeling that you have other part, other chunks of your brain. Uh, obviously this is not how brains work, but we're pretending <laughs> like it is, you know, that, that you, that you spend time thinking about other stuff or doing other things, have different hobbies outside of, of this project. What do you think about? Like what passes through your brain uh, or what do you do? Let's just kind of, you know, freestyle it. Um, what's other, what's something else that's big in your life other than your side project? Yeah. So like, to be quite honest, um, almost all of my mental energy is devoted to thinking about the problem that I'm trying to solve. And even though like the experiments that I'm running right now don't seem like it, the real vision for what we're moving towards is how can we create interactive education online that is actionable? And the way that we think about financial advice and financial literacy is that it's, it's, it's a lot of education. It's like set, set certain habits and then forget them. So how can we, how can we create products and services to enable that for, for, for a lot of people? And, uh, so one of the, one of the things that I'm really thinking about is like the future of education and, uh, what, what, what that looks like, what, what that entails. Uh, I, I have, I have this working hypothesis about, education and entertainment blending. I don't know if you guys saw, uh, there, there was this article about Japanese, a- Asian teachers, uh, and essentially how they, they're like influencers on YouTube. And teachers are competing against each other for the highest viewership of students. And I, I love that. I mean, like Bill Nye, the science guy, like go back, like when I, when I was a young kid, I used to watch Cyber Chase and Sesame Street. I learned, I learned English by watching Sesame Street. So uh, as, as, as a non-native English speaker, I, like that's, that's how I learned English. Why, why, why doesn't that exist for adults? Why can't we just consume content and learn? Uh, I love Masterclass and what they're doing. I love, uh, I, I love all of, these, all of these products and services that are merging uh, entertainment education and uh, like the term that I'm calling is edutainment i think that's that's what the that's what the future looks like so do you think in education and just kind of the future of education where do you it sounds like based on kind of what you just said you spend more time thinking about adult education and like higher ed um what i guess two questions one is that is that true like do you do you or do you think about the whole spectrum and two like uh, I, I do have a question specific to education of the youngsters. Like if you, if you have any thoughts on this, like right now, uh, you know, young people are still being taught to standardize tests and, and whatnot and taught to like fifth grade to sixth grade, sixth grade to seventh grade, all the way up to high school and then to college, which is supposed to get you a job after college. 
and what you know you've seen and what I've seen and what a good amount of people in tech are seeing is that like the end game, which is the job market, is changing, and the system and like kind of the whole system, you know, isn't changing so much with it. Um, so I'm kind of interested. Do you have any thoughts on that, or solutions, or hypotheses, or or predictions for the future, or is are things going to get potentially like worse before they get better? I don't I don't necessarily uh, know specifics as I'm not necessarily building a, a tech company right now, but what I do know is from my personal experience, lectures and college classes are extremely inefficient. When I walk into uh, biology 101 or any general ed class, there are maybe 200 kids in the room and 199 of them are on their laptops, not paying attention to the professor. So why are we still going into a classroom and sitting there in front of this professor who probably isn't the best knowledge expert on that topic or teacher or lecturer for any matter and using that as our primary way to educate ourselves. So if we're going to teach ourselves anyways, why not just build tools to make self-learning more accessible to the masses? So like when my friends were in college and like we would just memorize, we would use Quizlet, we would use all these like technology products to fill the gap of, 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 of the professors, right? Using Khan Academy, using all these supportive uh, online free resources to learn things that, that we needed to know for the exams, right? Um, so I think there's going to be a massive shift and we're kind of seeing that already with uh, the emergence of Lambda School but there are definitely way more people, uh, way more qualified people to talk about these things than I am. But I think even in that, the fact that you're not in the industry at all, like, it's so interesting because you, you already have like, I would say more complete thoughts on audit than most people just in the world. Uh, for my experience at least, which is just kind of shows that you're just kind of in it and you're observing, you're not studying it, but like you're in it, um, which is uh, which is exciting because you're so... I don't know if this is, do you, when people say like, you're, you're rather like you're young, you're 21, you're like, you're still in your, your college age. Is that something that is like offensive to you? Or do you think it's a compliment? Do you not care? Um, if someone calls you young, how do you feel about it? Yeah. So I don't necessarily tell people my age, uh, until I'm asked for it. Uh, or if I have to, I'm usually the youngest person in every room I walk into. And, uh, People are pretty shocked when they realize how old I am. I don't understand why, uh, but it's just something that I've lived with and gotten used to. Were you always like that? What I mean, what I mean by that is like when you were 16 or, or 17, were you then in rooms that you know, were older and then you know, 13, 14? I guess at what point did you start to find yourself in rooms with people that were older than you? Uh, I, was, I, was, I was always like that. It, it, it just, uh, it's just something that when, when you, uh, when you're a first generation immigrant and the only person that speaks English in your household, you're, you don't really have much of a childhood. You're kind of just an adult, right? Like it, like I was the person that called our cable company and negotiated, uh, our Comcast bill, right? Like I was the person who was managing the bank accounts, the 401ks, et cetera, uh, managing the checkbooks and like all these things. So Many, many first-generation immigrants may have had a similar experience. So you're kind of just used to being an adult. Uh, I think 
I've had a harder time relating to people my age uh, than I do with uh, the other side of the spectrum. It's so interesting just because I, I, as I, as people listening to this that are, that are older than us are going to be like, God, you're so full of crap. But, <laughs> but like me, uh, me. So when I, as I've gotten past college age um, and turned, you know, I'm 26 now, as I said, I obviously am still young, but I look at people in college and high school and I remember where I was kind of at that stage and it just makes me so happy when I see, you know, people like you and people that are just kind of like blazing the trail that are er earlier than they're supposed to, right? Um, And it's just, uh, I think it's just such a good signal for whatever you do in the future. um, I think it's just a good signal for success, which I think um, I always try to find in, you know, at any age, even older or younger than me. But when I find that, someone that's kind of above average or always the youngest person in the room, I always like want to talk to them to be like, why are you the youngest person in the room, you know? I I think the hard part about it is that once you start realizing things you're not supposed to at a certain age, you don't have as many models to look up to of other people who have done something similar. And so it's very easy to get lost. So for example, when I dropped out of college, like I didn't know any other dropouts from Rutgers and that were successful in the, in the domain that I wanted to be successful in. So I went and looked for people who were, who were dropouts and moved to Silicon Valley and started startups and started engaging with them. So finding those right models and having that support network is very crucial because they essentially help you set your aspirations. You observe from them and then you grow from, uh, you grow from those relationships and, and, and you, you, you basically define what success looks like. I think that's one of the questions uh, that I've always been asking myself. What does success look like? And whether that's as a 21-year-old uh, entrepreneur, whether that's as a student, whether that's as a brother, sister, boyfriend, in any context, what does success look like? And trying to embody that is something that's really important to me and at least working towards it because when you don't necessarily have the mental models that many other people just take for granted, you're basically learning everything from scratch. You're, you're going and learning everything from first principles. What, is, what does a healthy relationship look like? What does a healthy diet plan look like? What is happiness? Why am I chasing money? Uh, why do I need money? Right? Like, like all these very, very fundamental and basic questions that most people don't, I mean, I, I don't know if people think about this, but I would assume most people don't think about, are all questions that I think about like every single day. And, and I'm trying to build up my logic to the point where I know what my North Star is and why I'm moving towards it. And, and, and as I say this, I think one of the stories that comes to my mind is I was sitting in business school, undergraduate business school, my first year in intro to management. And I remember this very distinct moment where our professor, Professor Hubbard, said, businesses have missions and visions. And here's why. I don't remember what his reasoning was, but I just remember at that moment thinking, wow, businesses have missions and visions, but people don't. It, it, was, it was like this, this very distinct moment that I'll never forget. And I just sat there for the rest of my class thinking about my mission and my vision. And it, it's changed and it's evolved and it will continue to. But having that has been, has been very critical. 
Where do you, total like change of subject, which we'll come back to what you just said. Um, if you don't mind sharing, what city or area of the world do you live in right now? For sure. I'm in New Jersey. You're in New Jersey. So I'm in Phoenix. And uh, the reason I asked is because I feel like it, as of the last you know decade, it kind of feels like two worlds. There is the where you live and your friends and the events and the socials and the bowling alleys and whatever. Then there's the internet where you 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 can talk to people anywhere. Um, yep. What do you think this is going to? I shall say this. I feel like I find myself. <coughs> excuse me. I find myself shifting a little more towards the internet world. Um, not like scrolling on Facebook every day, but like when I talk to like networking, I, I might ne go to like a Twitter networking event, AKA spend an hour meeting interesting people versus going to an in-person networking event. You being a, a almost, almost digital native, native, how do you think about just the internet um, and its opportunity versus the real world and the opportunity in the real world and how the two kind of collide? Yeah, I mean, like this is one of the reasons that I love Twitter so much. I like I have met so many incredible people off of Twitter, whether it was a phone call, a random phone call or a actual meetup in New York City uh, or like usually when some like there's this phenomenon on Twitter where people will announce that they're in a certain city if they're not from that local city. It's like, hey, I'm in, I'm in New York. Anyone want to meet up? And so like many of my cool like many of my cool relationships started from actually showing up, showing up to those things that people posted about. And so I, I think the, ge the geographic limitations have fallen and some of my closest friends are actually friends that I never met in person. And these are people that I formed relationships with based on our interests. And the ability to do that is gr far greater than it ever has been. In, in ways that most people don't understand. Uh, even, even today, like if I were to tell one of my friends that I grew up with and went to high school with that, hey, I'm about to go meet up with some dude I met off of Twitter, it's like, it's, it's, not, it's not common. It's, 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 it's very insane. But for me, it's, it's very normal. And like there are people who follow, um, like for example, I write this newsletter and I wrote this blog and apparently people were actually following me and reading it and that's how I met my co-founder. So yeah, like it, it's, I would definitely say that I'm way more, I skew way more digitally native and I appreciate the people that I meet online way more than offline. And that primarily just has to do with the places we hang out. I, I imagine if I went to work at a company like Stripe or something like that, I would meet people of that caliber in real, in real life. But if it's not accessible to you in a sub in suburban Phoenix or New Jersey, then you have to go online. It's the beauty of podcasting. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I'm just kidding, but um, but I mean, not really. Actually, I mean, like when you're not, but you don't have access geographically IRL. You got to take to the interwebs, and there's plenty of tactics to find. It seems like Twitter has been great for you. Podcasting has been fairly good for me, um, and I, I do think that. People are going to figure it out over time that wherever you live, you don't, that doesn't have to be your network. You can have networks anywhere as long as you're kind of smart about it and you're like, you, you know where to go. Yep. 
So a couple more questions for you. We're, we're coming up at about an hour, which I think is the longest podcast we've ever done. So that's a record. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's good. But the, the, the reason I like this is because there's no center piece, which is the company that you're working on. And you don't have obvious experience for me to ask you about. It's like, oh, well, tell me about that. It's just like jamming about whatever kind of pops up. And I like the format a lot. And I think this is going to be a very successful segment as I find, uh, as I find people, you know, like you that that don't have their thing yet, but like they might be close. And and there's kind of, yeah. Yeah, no, I was sorry to cut you off. I think the cool part about this is if you actually follow along on the journeys and have like three month episodes or quarterly episodes with the same people, I think that would be really cool because now you can actually track their momentum over time. So I think that could be really fun. That is literally genius. So we, we will have you back on in three months. To, that's so, dude, that is so smart. Oh my gosh. I love that idea. We will absolutely do it. Now that kind of makes me, we'll take that offline, but yeah, great idea. A, a great idea. Anyways, I have a couple more questions for you and then we'll about wrap it up. Yeah, they can, they can be like episodes, right? <laughs> episodes of someone's life. Damn, man, that is so interesting. Well, that's... Like, I wonder if I want to take the conversation down that route. I don't even know what questions I have about it other than just like, what a great idea. But the <laughs> yeah. thing is that what, what's, what I think is interesting though, is that, you know, before I got into startups and even while I got into startups there, I was always with, this is more the IRL crowd, like my, my friends in real life. Um, there's always like, Oh, like this idea, you should, what a great idea. And like this idea, like what a great, you know, but like no one ever does it. Oh, I love about the internet, the internet network is that you talk about ideas and the, and if you surround yourself around the, the right people, like they're going to do it. Like it's not just an idea that's good and then floats away. Right. It's just, it's just, that's what I love about the internet. You can pick your network instead of just it being picked for you by your geography. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the other thing that I notice about people um, who will do interesting things. I'm always on the lookout for people that are young and ambitious. And one of the things that is unanimously true for all of them is that they very much define their, the things they consume and the people they hang out with. And based on the content they consume and the people they hang out with, I can form or shortcut an opinion about them and and then like through our interactions gauge whether it's true or not so it's having that level of foresight and being proactive rather than reactive to one surroundings is actually just a signal in itself it's it's interesting it reminds me of something eric tornberg posted maybe a week ago about and and i'm gonna butcher this but pretty much it's just like i can look at anyone on twitter and already know if i if i think i'm going to like them or vet them in some capacity just by seeing who else is following them that's just genius and i do it too but i didn't realize it like i can you know even even you right when i when i clicked into your profile if no one was following you that i didn't follow I might not have clicked through and, and seen what I saw, like your website and whatnot, but because I saw you were followed by like these heavyweights, I'm like, oh, this, this, is, this guy's kind of interesting. Let, let's learn. And that's just a powerful, it's almost like Google, Google 2.0, right? Like backlinking 2.0. Well, no, I mean, I, it, like totally. It's, it's a search engine. Like Twitter is a search engine for people. And 
it's it's a much better search engine because there's proof, right? There's 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 social capital, and then there's actually proof of work. And the proof of work is the tweets that someone put out, right? And so like you can go and look at the tweets they put out, the engagement they had, and you can actually look at the people that follow them and form an opinion before actually even interacting with the person. Typically people have personal sites. You can go look at that and see their professional or non-professional attributes as well. So yeah, absolutely. I have a couple more thoughts and then, and then we actually will wrap it up. Um, cool. But I saw on product hunt maybe a week ago. Yes. The, the reverse SSS. Yeah. Ooh, what's that? Wait, I don't, I don't, that's not what I was going to say, but I don't even know what that is. So let's dive into that. What's a reverse SSS? <laughs> well, no, I mean, sorry. Um, reverse RSS. And it was essentially uh, wait, wait who dot is. Oh yeah. That's, oh, that's exact. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're on the same yeah. page. Yeah. That's cool. dude. Crazy idea. Like that, that concept, obviously it starts so simple, but if, if, he, I don't know if he's going to make it big or sound awesome, but like, oh my gosh, what a brilliant idea. <laughs> so yeah. For people, I, for people, if can you, um, if you remember it, do you mind explaining uh, to the people listening so they know, they, they know what we're talking about, what it is and how it kind of relates to like this Twitter, you know, social network for people type of uh, totally. conversation? Totally. So wait who dot is, is basically a website that will amalgamate all of the content of a certain individual, let's say it's a Mark Andreessen, Naval Ravikant, or Chris Dixon, any kind of prolific person in tech Twitter or just across the board, and showcase all of their tweets, all of their articles, all of their websites, all of their podcasts in one place. And yeah, it's, 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 it's actually building a search engine for people in a way that Twitter isn't right now because you typically have to click into a link and that link may or may not have all of the resources that a person may have appeared on. Yeah, it, I, I saw it and I, I saw what it could be just because I think about RSS feeds a lot. Like I want to build, you know, I, you know, we talked about this like, you know, last week, but I like a podcast network of some sort and that involves a lot of RSS magic. And I saw this product, I'm like, wow, this could be something so special if it goes in that direction. But he probably has his own vision I'll take it in that direction. I'm sure that'll be special too. And it might be the same vision. Who knows? But with that last question of, well, I guess two, two more questions and then done. Um, the last real question, then the last question will be where people can find you online. But the last real question, it's kind of a cop-out question, but is there anything else? Well, no, it's not a question. It's just a kind of a statement for you. You have last chance for first impressions or last impressions on people listening um, you know, they, they've heard what you've had to say, they might be interested, they might not be, et cetera, but you got one last chance to, to, ver- to just say whatever you want to leave that last impression. Um, what's, what's something you want to say um, that, that everyone can kind of take away to ponder, uh, you know, while they drive home or cook dinner or whatever it may be? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I would say is that going back to a point that I made earlier is that people love the idea of innovation in the abstract, but when it actually comes to helping other people see their visions come to life, most people are very cynical and pessimistic. If there's anything you can do to support people who are actually out there trying to bring ideas to life, even if it's just supporting them in their, in their journey, uh, by telling them that you believe in them, that is probably one of the most powerful things you can do. And 
that may make that person's day. So if there's anyone that you know that's working on something interesting, whether that's a podcast or just creating something that they're probably not supposed to be, that they have no business doing, just, just send them a message and let them know that you're, you're there and that you're supporting them. Uh, because I'll be honest, uh, this journey is incredibly lonely and uh, I always appreciate it when my friends do that. And I, I genuinely believe the words I believe in you are some of the strongest words that someone can tell me. I couldn't agree more, but very powerful. Um, and to kind of to kind of wrap it up and relating to your last point, if someone wanted to reach out and say keep it up or give you feedback or anything, or they just wanted to find you online or your projects online, et cetera, or on Twitter, you know, where on the internet can someone get in touch with you if they want to be friends, they want to invest, they want to, you know, whatever. How can they find you? Great. Uh, Abi.nyc is my website. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's A-V-Y-A-S-0. All right. Well, thank you so much for being the first experiment of this, uh, of this series. I think this is going to be great. And I am very, very down to have you come back in three months to talk about what, you, what you've been up to, what's changed, what, have it, what hasn't. I mean, it'll be a little story. So thanks for that idea, and thanks for being guest number one. I really appreciate it. Totally, man. Uh, this, is, this is my way of supporting your journey. <laughs>